Well, hello, and welcome back to the Bicycle Mechanics Podcast. Today is podcast number four. Today we're going to cover a few uh, interesting interesting topics. Uh, first one we're going to cover today is uh, going to talk a little bit about the early pioneers of race support um, within the U.S. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, three different individuals to start, uh, Bill Woodall, uh, Jim Ingram and Mitch Clinton. So I had the uh, the pleasure of uh, talking to Jim Ingram and Mitch uh, Clinton on the phone uh, recently, and uh, took some notes. Have some interesting stories and some fun uh, some fun stuff. So let's get on to it. So the first uh, the first mechanic we're going to talk about is Bill Woodall, who um, was considered uh, really a pioneer. Um, in the concept of uh, professional uh, race support in North America. And he is um, a member of the United States Cycling uh, Federation Hall of Fame, uh, rightfully. And uh, I've got a little bio here for downloaded uh, straight from the internet from their site, just a little info on him, um, kind of read it off to you here. So Bill was the first person to see the need for a professional race mechanic in the U.S. and built the neutral support service industry in the in the process. Following a stint as an apprentice mechanic in Amsterdam, he returned to the U.S. and started the Campagnolo neutral support program. Bill and his silver silver and blue van with the bubble on top was a staple to all of the major cycling events in the U.S. during the 70s and 80s. Later, he was hired by the USCF to serve as the manager of national team support. Bill developed a program for the training and licensing of professional mechanics. A veteran of four Olympics and countless national and international events, it has been said that every elite cyclist in the U.S. during his lifetime benefited from his technical expertise. His involvement involvement in cycling took him to 42 different countries in support of racers. Bill's lasting legacy in the USA Cycling Bill Woodall Race Mechanics Clinic at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Aspiring trade team and neutral support mechanics learn the proper methods of race support and professionalism as they embark on a professional career in cycling. So on a personal note, so sadly, Bill uh, Woodall uh, passed away several years ago. but I did get to meet Bill when I was working at the the USCF, United States Cycling Federation. Um, met him several times and worked uh, some races when he was he was working as well. Um, but I did get to kind of get a few stories and kind of catch up um, a little bit more about Bill um, beyond the uh, the bio there um, from uh, Mitch Clinton and um, and Jim Ingram, who both knew Bill pretty well. So the first one I find I found really really interesting was um, so Bill Bill was at the um, the Olympics in 1976 in Montreal and um, there were campy banners uh, from the Olympics for the Olympics all along the course um, for the race for the road race and I believe the time trial as well and and when the race uh, was over um, apparently. Um, Bill cut the uh, cut down the banner, these black and gray, uh, really big uh, Campagnola banners. Uh, he cut them down and he and he took them with him. Um, and he actually used those banners later um, at some races that he was he was kind of helping support. And I guess it 
it kind of caught the eye of uh, of Campagnolo in uh, in Italy that these banners were being used, and that and I guess Bill really created uh, quite a, a look with those, and uh, so that was kind of kind of in a, a short short version of how the the Campagnola uh, neutral support program started in the U.S., which was run by Bill Woodall and um, with some help from others, of course. And uh, Jim Ingram was one of um, the gentlemen that he met when he was pretty young. They would race together and such. And uh, Jim ended up working with Bill quite often as well. So one of the things that, that Mitch Clinton uh, told me uh, in our conversation on the phone was that um, that Bill was, uh, he was a showman in, in many different ways. And he was... Um, he was all about um, making it, making the mechanics look professional. And, you know, before, you know, Bill's ideas came along, the, the idea of race support was kind of maybe a, a guy in the back of a pickup truck, you know, during a local road race. And Bill kind of took it up to the next level. And, and uh, the kind of, the kind of stuff that, that he kind of introduced was uh, holding the wheels up at a finish uh, for the photo shoot, you know, when the rider comes across the line, if he's soloing in and, kind of get yourself some uh some you know get get your sponsor seen whether it be Mavic or Campagnolo or or whatnot so so that was he was really a a catalyst to to kind of step up uh the program a bit of a of a race mechanic and a neutral mechanic just to make us uh, a bit more professional and you know he he drove around the country with the big Campagnolo van you could probably find a picture of it online and um, and I, there was a wagon involved too that Jim Ingram, uh, drove and actually, uh, crashed once at, uh, the course classic, which is kind of a, a, another story in and of itself. But, um, so Bill had that, this campy van with a, with a big bubble on top. And it was, um, it was, it was really, um, kind of drew a lot of people out into the idea of, of being, you know, a race mechanic. So as I mentioned, uh, Mitch Clinton kind of is one of the, the, the friends here that I kind of talked to a bit on the phone about his experience being a, a, uh, a mecha race mechanic, both uh, neutral and um, a team mechanic. So in, I believe it was about, it looks, sounds like it was about 1985 that uh, Bill Woodall was kind of doing the, the, the Campagnola tour with the van and the, the, the bubble van to kind of go to shops and whatnot and kind of help promote uh, Campagnola. And um, he went to a shop where uh, Mitch was working and kind of uh, Mitch decided that maybe he, you know, this was something that he kind of wanted to do as well. So he um, was, a, he got hooked up with, um, with Mavic and Mavic kind of sold the idea to him that he could be the, the, the Bill Woodall, um, for Mavic. And, uh, so Mitch kind of started, uh, doing that in 1985 and he did it up until about, it looks like about 1981. And after that, Mitch went on and worked for, uh, the Subaru Montgomery team, um, with Eddie B, um, had some writers like, uh, I guess Lance was on the team, Steve Haig. Um, they did a lot of racing in the U S they did some international stuff as well. So one of the, one of the cool things that that Mitch got to do a couple really cool things he he was able to he worked the um the tour I believe in 1990 uh with Mavic um they would bring him over from the states for the for the tour and then he um he also got to work the uh Perry Roubaix in 1988 
which as he, he described uh, to me was one of those years that it was really a, a really dry race. Um, usually it's pretty wet and, and when it's wet at the, at the Paris-Roubaix, apparently what happens is uh, when racers crash out, um, they crash, they just kind of drop out um, and don't finish the race. But this year in 1988, it was dry and, and uh, people would, uh, the racers would flat and they would, uh, they'd give them a wheel and they'd continue going. So it made for kind of a, kind of a hectic race, uh, it sounds like. So in the end, uh, Mitch said uh, he did uh, 17 uh, wheel changes um, on bikes for flats. And then uh, he did one, uh, one on the, on the car he was in, um, had to change the tire. So they pulled off and he, he and the driver didn't know really where the spare tire was. Um, they, the, I guess the driver kind of looked under the hood at first and uh, Mitch said, what the heck are you doing? And he said, uh, looking for the spare tire. And uh, they eventually found it and it was underneath kind of the, the back of the rear end of the car and uh, got the uh, got the wheel changed or the wheel changed with a fresh tire. So so after they got the wheel changed on the car and they got back on the course, everyone had passed by. They were way behind everybody. So they had to kind of really um, speed up to pass to get back up to the to the main field. And as they were trying to get up to the to the main group up ahead, they there would be riders all along the road with, with flats and they kept stopping and changing wheels and moving on to the next. And, um, that went on for a little bit. And then, the the race commissar wanted, uh, the team, this, uh, Mavic support vehicle that, that Mitch was in to get in front of the, uh, the, the Peloton before they hit the, the Ehrenberg forest. So, um, it, I guess it was pretty sketchy for a while trying to get by all the riders and finally they did and they got just ahead of them right before they entered the Ehrenberg forest, which, um, can be pretty sketchy for any uh, fellow mechanics, uh, listening to this uh, team or, or neutral su support mechanics, um, passing the riders in a, in a support car is uh, one of the most dangerous things that you can do. And oftentimes they don't want to let you by, um, depending on the road that maybe it's narrow, you know, if they're going slow, going fast, kind of going back and forth across the road to take advantage of the terrain. So, um, you kind of have to work around them a little bit, but able to, eventually they were able to get in front of the group, um, and make it up in front. So in front of the, before they got to the Ehrenberg forest, um, another kind of interesting thing that, that Mitch talked about was, um, during the, the Paris-Roubaix, um, so Mavic had, um, two spots set up along the route with, with uh, big box trucks with uh, extra equipment because they knew that the, the, the support vehicles were going to run out of, of wheels and such. So they had to stop a few times along the route and kind of resupply and give them the old, the old wheels uh, that were flatted from the teams and, and pick up some new wheels, uh, some fresh wheels uh, to change out for, for the next parts of the race. So, um, they had, apparently they had special tubulars on them. I forget which kind they were, but, um, so they had to glue all these tubulars onto these wheels uh, ahead of time. And then, um, and eventually, um, they kind of went through so many wheels that by the end, I don't think they had a whole lot left, but, um, they, uh, they serviced quite a few riders. And that was just the one Mavic car that serviced 17 17 wheel changes and a car wheel change. So, so pretty, pretty hectic race. If you've ever seen any of the footage of that year, um, I forget who won. I'm, I'm, I think it might've been Lamont's teammate, um, that actually won that year. 
Um, but I'm sure you could find some pictures of that online to kind of give some context to it. So to kind of give a, a, a little bit of, of background, I mentioned Jim Ingram and the, the campy wagon. I'm sure a lot of uh, old timers, anybody who's followed the, the race or support scene for a long time knows about the story about Jim Ingram uh, crashing the, um, the Campagnola wagon and, and having the rack, uh, the bike rack on top come flying off uh, while he was uh, careening down a hill. So I, I got to talk to Jim a few weeks ago and uh, talked about Bill a little bit, uh, Bill Woodall, and about kind of uh, early, the early days of being, um, being a neutral support and, and bike uh, tech support guys. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that I asked, uh, asked Jim about was, I asked him what were the biggest challenges in the early days of, of team and, and neutral support. And quite interestingly, um, uh, Jim said that it was the hardest thing to sometimes was to get the time off of work to be able to do it. So, you know, they weren't, they weren't making any money. Sometimes they got paid, sometimes they didn't get paid and definitely not at first. Um, there was no pay involved. They were kind of doing it because they enjoyed it. Um, so I thought, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, just trying to get the time off. And then I, and then I asked him, I said, well, how did you, how did you find, um, mechanics to, uh, to work, you know, to work for free? And did you go to shops? Did you, how did you, how did you find these people? And he said, uh, he said, people just kind of showed up. There were always kind of people around that wanted to, to do this for fun and, and try it out. So they didn't really have to go, uh, search too much for, for folks. And I remember, when I talked to Mitch a little bit, also Clinton, he also mentioned that um, when he was running the Mavic uh, neutral support in the U.S., when he ne- it was just him, he was the only one running the program, but he needed help, and he would often, you know, sometimes his roommate would come with him and help. He would he would go to local bike shops where the races were going on and and see if there's anybody that wanted to come and help out and work at the races and. And, you know, there always were everybody, people were always really interested in, in trying that out and trying something a little different, getting out of the shop. And, uh, so I, I would, uh, support the, the idea that if you work in a shop and you're a good, good bike mechanic and you want to, you want to try this out, you know, you should, you may not make money at first, you know, and that's okay because, because it's, uh, it's an experience that kind of, that kind of sticks with you, whether you decide to go on and do it or, or you don't, or you just work that one race and you, you get a different perspective on, on being a bicycle mechanic. And I, I think it's really, um, really a great way to, uh, see a little bit more of not just the world, but of, uh, the bike mechanic world. So that, that, that being said, we'll jump back a little bit and talk, uh, about Jim and the, and the, the campy wagon. Um, so it was uh, a stage of the um, the course classic, and I believe uh, Jim said they were heading from like Nevada City uh, up to I believe Squaw Valley. So so Jim was driving the the campy wagon, like I mentioned, and he um, he was the front car, which means he was way out in front of the field. And the idea of, for anybody that doesn't know, the idea of the the neutral support car that is out in front of the main field, the idea is that they fall back behind. Uh, if a breakaway gets up the road and gets more than a minute, I believe um, that car, that car will follow behind, kind of drop drop back and drop in behind the breakaway to offer support. Um, a bit easier for them to do that than have the team cars come up. And oftentimes 
the the commissar uh the race you know the guy in charge of the race on the road won't um won't want a bunch of team cars in there if there's only a minute gap you know you have like a breakaway of seven you don't want to have seven cars there then it kind of just creates this uh this wind break for the field to kind of catch back up so that's kind of the idea behind the 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 lead uh support vehicle uh neutral so so jim was driving that that campy wagon like we talked about and he was the front car and he had all the personal stuff for all the the mechanics that were working the race uh in the car um in this wagon he had a full rack of uh, i believe he had some some bikes and some wheels lots of wheels up top um and they were climbing uh this year of foothills kind of kind of forever he said it seemed like they were just going up and up and um they kind of finally got like above tree line and then uh right behind jim were a couple of uh trucks with uh, the photo photo journalist folks um and as soon as they got to the top of the hill he said it seemed like the kind of like the bottom dropped out as they as they kind of summited this this hill and there were two trucks uh full of uh as jim calls them idiots behind him uh so Jim decided to get some uh, some space in between he and these trucks because you know, the photo folks, because Jim knows that, uh, as we all do, that by people racing bikes going downhill can go as fast or faster than a car in a lot of cases. So he kind of kind of put the pedal to the metal to to put some some room in between he and these these photojournalists in these trucks and also between the field. So if you know what the, the campy wagon looks like, you would know that it's probably not going to be the best handling uh, vehicle on the road. Um, it's kind of a big, uh, looks like big, like a big cumbersome wagon. Um, pretty cool looking for, for its, its day and time, but um, definitely not a, uh, a road handling machine. So, so Jim was flying down the hill and uh, one, he, on a right curve, I guess one of his wheels kind of went off the road a little bit and kind of started start oscillating a bit and then uh and then after that i'm not sure what happened but then he kind of just slid off the road um down the hill and uh he when he hit the other side of the road he heard he heard the rack break um and then there was dust and the the back windows popped out and he heard a big um and that was the rack i think uh coming off and the the rack basically landed on the ground kind of intact um he only lost one wheel, um, and then uh, Jim uh, climbed out the window and back up the hill and, and looked down the hill back at the car and the rack. and And uh, it's pretty funny because there's actually uh, there's actually a video. It's kind of it doesn't show the actual uh, Jim going off the road, but it shows um, him down the hill. And it's kind of the race. Some of the race caravan has stopped. Um, and they're talking on the radio, and you see Jim get out of the 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 uh, the wagon and head up the hill. And, uh, I think if you look at it, look up, look it up, uh, just Google search it and it'll, it'll take you to, I think, think a Facebook, uh, post maybe, but it's pretty funny. So, so Jim, uh, is at the top of the hill and he said he waited there for a while. Um, you know, after everyone kind of saw that he was okay, they kind of continued on cause the race must go on. The race is, you know, had by now the race had gone by. Um, so the race caravan left and, uh, he kind of Jim kind of had to wait and then uh the broom wagon eventually went by um the radio went dead uh so he was out of radio range for the for the race caravan um he was just kind of waiting there and then finally um 
a small pickup truck uh, showed up, and it was John Sape, um, one of the other techs um, for Campy, uh, showed up uh, to pick up Jim and and the the the, the wheels and such. So, um, and it was funny because Jim said uh, the first thing he said when he um, first thing he did when he got to the hotel was he um, he called his mom in Florida just to to let her know that he was okay, which I thought was pretty cool. So I'd like to like to kind of leave that a little bit behind and kind of move, move on here um, to our next segment. Um, I'm going to do we're going to do a little bit a um, little bit out of the Campagnola book. We're going to uh, talk a little bit more about Tulio and the beginning of Campagnola. But I would like to um, thank um, Jim Ingram and uh, Mitch Clinton for their time um, talking to me on the phone and, and kind of sharing some old stories um, about what went on. So uh, let's get back to our Campy book. So just to just to kind of throw this out there, um, we're going to read a little bit more here um, about Tulio and the beginning of Campagnolo. But um, starting in the next episode, <clears throat> I'm going to um, start doing a little bit of history of uh, Shimano and uh, how Shimano got started. Um, and then uh, we'll kind of do both because, the you know, at this point, Shimano hasn't really started yet. So we're um, we're just kind of going over the stuff in the early 1900s. Um, as far as uh, the cycling industry. Um, so, so let's get on with it. So the employee in the registry office in Vincenza considered himself a man of culture, or so it seems, when Valentino Campagnola and Elisa Paiusco, reporting the birth of their second child, said they wanted to call him Tulio, the employee shook his head, scoffing at the ignorance of the poor, uneducated couple. In elegant handwriting, he wrote in the register name, Getulio, which or so he had read in the Italian almanac published by the Bemporg brothers was derived from Getulius, meaning originally from Gaeta, the sunny, sound, sunny town south of Rome, famous for its black olives. Little did it matter to the officious employee that the coursing through the veins of the newborn, newborn's veins were several generations worth, worth of Veneto blood. When he was older, Getulio could not always disguise his displeasure of having to sign official documents with that bizarre name. Years later, however, he got even for the registry's office abuse by making the entire world learn to know him by his real name, the one his parents had wanted, Tulio Campignolo. He was born August 26, 1901, in a house located between the hamlets of Ospileto and Anoconeta on the eastern outskirts of Vincenza. In those early years of the 20th century, the Venoto was a land of poverty, and those were difficult times. Food was hard to come by. Many people had left or were planning to do so, as had throngs of people from the nearby regions of Piedmont, Emilia, and Friuli. People were dreaming of faraway lands, places where they might find hope for a better life, whether in the Americas or Australia. The Campagnolas had chosen to stay despite the hardships. Elisa looked after the house and the two children and worked in the fields. Valentino got by with a small hardware store where he sold nails, screws, hooks, and whatever else do-it-yourself neighbors might require. 
connected to the small store was a true workshop of miracles. A laboratory with tools and a blacksmith's work table to forge shovels, sickles, harrows, and wheels. So little Tulio grew up knowing something about his schoolworks, but a great deal more about files, pliers, anvils, vice grips, and hammers. He was fascinated by shaping and creating objects by folding metal as desired or as needed. At 14, he attended the School of Arts and Crafts in Vincenza, studies that did not interfere with his completion of his practical part of his education in his father's workshop. At 18, he took part in a competition given by a railroad to become a machinist. The trains were wonderful mechanical means, and at the time, 1919, is the first year after World War I, the railroad was expanding, having gone from being privately owned to state ownership. Tulio won the competition, but was hired as a second machinist, a role that did not per permit him to express his creativity in mechanical matters. He soon left the railroad and returned to work in his father's hardware store. There he could give free reign to his genius. In the Workshop of Miracles, the young Campagnolo built his first bicycle, putting together and adapting scrap parts. He also built a three-wheeled van for his father to use when delivering new and repaired tools to clients. Standing out on the side in white paint was Campagnola de Fermenta with, with the address and telephone number. It seems that promoting the family company was a trait already developed in the young Tulio's genes. So fascinated was he by bicycles that he decided to become a racer. At that time, early in 1920, cycling was the most popular sport in Europe and most of all in Italy. Newspapers used flowery prose when exalting the, need, the deeds of Con Constante Girardengo and Tano Bolini, Bartolomo Moya, Giovanni Brunero, and Ottavio Botecchia. And the news arrived from France and Belgium of the accomplishments of Henri Pellissier, Philippe Dies, Jean Alvion, and Gustave Garnier. At 21, wearing the jersey of the Veloce Club Vincentendo, Campagnolo began racing. He was promising, well-built and strong. He found those who were willing to pay him to pedal. First, it was Sili Alipiarndi, and then Niccolo Biondo of Capri paid his expenses and added something in the way of an, incent an incentive. Tulio took care of his bicycle with maniacal determination, always on the lookout for ways to improve its performance with small, ingenious improvements and adjustments. From the bottle holder to the brakes, from the crank set to the sprocket and the spokes. Then came the day on Croce Daune. I was paralyzed by the cold, he said, he later recounted. Working on the nuts, my hands began to bleed because the wheel would not come off. And when I got home, Deflated and discouraged, I began to think about what was to become the most perfect derailleur in the world. Now, when I kind of I, when I did a little bit of research on this uh, section that I just read out of uh, the Campagnola book, I kind of looked up uh, uh, Tulio, and uh, one of the definitions uh, it's a male name of Latin origin, originally Tullius, which actually means uh, the one who leads which is uh, very interesting. So 
Um, I will also uh, post uh, maybe a couple pictures from this book on uh, on the Instagram, uh, the Bicycle Mechanics uh, podcast uh, Instagram. And um, in the meantime, uh, if you have any uh, comments or questions or uh, any of the like, uh, you can always uh, email me at uh, the podcast at gmail.com. So that, that's kind of our, our show for today. I'd really like to thank you for listening and um, let you know that next week uh, or in the next episode, probably in a couple weeks, um, some of the things we're going to talk about are the, the benefits of cycling. Uh, we're going to do uh, a little bit, like I mentioned earlier, on the kind of the beginning of Shimano. Um, I'm not going to leave anybody out here. Um, we'll get to everybody eventually. Uh, might take a while, but uh, next time we're going to talk about Shimano, the beginnings, and then... We're going to do a little bit on uh, a little story about uh, what it's like to drive uh, as a race mechanic uh, to and from races and sometimes even maybe during a race. So um, keep an eye out for that. And uh, in the meantime, we will uh, see you for podcast number five in a couple of weeks. And don't forget uh, to to email with any questions, bicyclemechanicspodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Instagram at the Bicycle Mechanics Podcast. Thanks for listening.